sight. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Get lost in the music on a Saturday morning. Hey, Ashley Frasca with you. Thank you for tuning into Green and Growing. It is the July 11th edition of the show and really glad to be spending a Saturday morning with you. If at any point you miss parts of the show or other shows that you think you want to listen back to, I got news for you. Go on wsbradio.com, click on On Demand, and there when you find Green and Growing, you can listen to each hour separately of today's show or previous shows. Just give it until a little bit after 9 o'clock. Every Saturday, that's where you'll find us, and you can also listen on Spotify and Google Play. Now it's time to bring on my guest from the Georgia Forestry Commission, Summer Tree Care, and a lot of you have great questions. So he's our man, Seth Hawkins. Good morning, Seth. Hey, Ashley. How are you doing this morning? Really well, and I'm really excited on on having you on the show. So thanks so much for being here. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. So you and I met back in January, and I mean, I met some of the coolest people when we had that that meeting with the Georgia Forestry Commission, and all of you were so willing to help and showed me just a whole new world of gardening. You know, I mean, I always think like small stuff, like plants and flowers and trees and stuff, like like the intro to the show says, but... I mean, trees are so important in tree care, too. So this is one of the most stressful times of the year for trees. And you are a community forester. So first, I want to kind of introduce you to folks and you explain to them, you know, you, you right now your work is based out of like the Athens area and kind of northeast Georgia. But what do you do? Um, yes. So the Georgia Forestry Commission, um, you know, we, we work across the state um, basically to be healthy stewards of Georgia's forests. Um overall and so a lot of that work pertains to you know timber management and wildfire response and stuff but then we have a community forestry department within gfc and um we're all certified arborists and we mostly mostly work with communities on managing their community forest um and so just helping with you know planning with tree ordinances and things like that but then also digging down into workshops and really helping people understand the day-to-day care that goes into keeping trees alive in an urban environment yeah, and I mean, how much burden is on the homeowner to really add to this overall effort of maintaining, you know, I mean, Georgia has one, of Atlanta too, one of the best tree canopies, you know, we're so well known here for keeping everything green and we've got a lot of wood space and things like that. So how much stress do you place on homeowners like, hey, it's y'all's responsibility too? Well, I wouldn't call it stress. I would call it an opportunity to get yeah. out and your, your community trees. Um but yeah, so the majority of a city's tree canopy is carried on private property. So when you look at it from that perspective, it's all it's, it's paramount that homeowners help take care of their trees in their yard because that's contributing to the canopy that benefits the entire community. You know, trees grow really well out in the woods in their natural habitat. Um, that's why we have to help them along in an urban or suburban setting. Uh, there's just a lot of stressors that go, you know, put stress on the tree. And uh, that's where we come in to help, help them along. Now, if you had a project, maybe like a new business that was being constructed or an elementary school or something that was looking to plant a large number of trees, and I I mean, I don't know in your idea, a large number of trees, maybe like 40 or 50, but just me thinking, you know, something reasonable in a newly leveled area, maybe five or 10, what what is your go-to tree? What is one of the favorites to plant that does really well? Um, So it really depends on the site. Um, So arborists have a, certified arborists have a mantra, right tree, right place. Yeah all the time um you know one of the biggest issues that can happen is planting you know large canopy trees maybe in the wrong area with overhead lines or something like that so 
it's all about the sight, but if I just have a blank plate and I kind of just get to pick from my palate, um, you know, any of our native Georgia oaks uh, mm-hmm. do really well in our soils. Um, you know, willow oak is one that you see planted a whole lot in a lot of developments and things like that. Um, there's a reason for that. Uh, willow oak's a super tough tree, relatively fast growing. Um, but like I said, a lot of the other uh, Georgia native oaks are great. Um, I plant a lot of bald cypress, especially on heavily compacted sites. Um, they do really well in heavy clay soils. You think bald cypress, you think of the swamp, but they actually do really well in our poorly drained urban soils as well. Now, do those uh, do well as a screening tree as well? Um, you can use bald cypress for that, but they, you know, they do are going to lose their needles every winter. Mm-hmm. They, they, they do actually shed their needles, so there would be a gap in time where you wouldn't have your screen because um, they're actually a deciduous tree. So um, that maybe wouldn't be the best alternative for a screen. There's other options that might be better for that, such as um, Arborvitae. Um, you maybe could look into Cryptomeria. I really like the Arborvitae Green Giant as a screen tree. Yeah, you know, I had a coworker actually, Chris Burns, who does uh, the, the money show on Sundays, send me a picture, and he was so excited landscaping his his yard and had all these plants you know and trees spaced out in the pots and someone was going to install all of them and my eye in the picture immediately went to Leland Cypress and they were spaced out like you know it was hard to tell the dimensions just with a photograph but it looked like those pots were spaced really close together and I said please tell me your landscaper is not actually planting those where the pots are placed right now because it's way too close so I kind of schooled him a little bit on Leland Cypress do you feel that those are overdone or people just don't realize how large they're going to get and then they end up having to take them down because they die well yeah and you know definitely people don't realize how they might outgrow their space they definitely shoot up there really fast which is one of their you know redeeming qualities yeah. is why i want them but we usually kind of advise against planting leland cypress um there's just inherent fungal issues that they get in our landscape um usually once they get to a certain age they usually just kind of become stressed and get um, some fungal canker diseases. Um, and it I kind of happens across the landscape. Um, they're super sensitive to, like, drainage issues or root disturbance. So anytime they get stressed a little bit, they usually start having those brown spots you'll see in Leland Cypress. You'll have a whole branch brown out or a whole big chunk of the tree brown out. Um, and that's called, like I said, it's a fungal canker disease. And pretty much once they have that, it's kind of just a downward spiral from there. Yeah, it's one of those things we can't just prune it out because they're not going to put on new new needles. They're just not going to do it. Yeah, pruning out the affected tissue is really the best thing you can do once you have those issues in a Leland. Um, but all that does is really slow the spread. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Walter had always said for years and years in this show how important it was to keep all of your pruning tools clean and kind of disinfected, if you will, so that each cut you make, you're not kind of reinfecting different areas of the tree. Is that right? That's a great point. Yeah. Um, took the words out of my mouth. But yeah, make sure just to sanitize your uh, cutting. If you're cutting things, you suspect you're a fungal issue, cutting a branch. Make sure just to sanitize your blade in between each cut. Um, you can use really watered down bleach or um, even like watered down uh, Lysol spray. Um, oh. You just want to sanitize it, have a rag out there and do it. Um, you can even just wash it with soap and water, just dip it and all that. But that just keeps from spreading those fungal spores around the rest of the tree. And I love Arborvitae as a suggestion, but if someone's just really bent on doing Leland Cypress, tell us proper spacing for those. You know, um, it really depends on what your desired effect is. Um, you know, I probably would go try to go, honestly, about around 20 foot spacing in between them. Um, I know people like to cram them up together. <laughs> um, 
and that does give you that nice, you know, shaded fence look or that string look, but also the more that they're touching and everything, that's just more susceptibility to spread that fungus from one to the other. And they're also just going to be kind of tightly packed and overstocked and stressed out a little bit. Such a bummer. And you mentioned oaks as well. Something really cool. I was at the uh, Green Meadows Preserve in West Cobb County, Seth, the other day. And there is a tree there. I had never been there. I grew up in Woodstock my whole life, but had never been out to West Cobb and the Green Meadows Preserve, a southern red oak. And do you want to take a stab at how old that thing is? Um, I've never seen that particular tree, but um, I'm not sure. 185 years old. Nice. Isn't that cool? Yeah, and there's a really good way and a real quick tidbit on aging trees. There's a thing called growth factors. And if you have the diameter of a tree and you have the growth factor for that species, you can come up with the ballpark age of any tree in your backyard. If you Google tree growth factors, you'll be able to find them online. Yeah, because we don't want to cut it down and count the rings because exactly. <laughs> then there's no more tree. <laughs> right. All right. Well, we've got some great calls lined up for you. You ready to go? Let's do it. Perfect. All right. 404-872-0750. Seth Hawkins, Community Forester from the Georgia Forestry Commission. Any and all tree care questions, we want to talk to you. So first, Betty in Doraville. Good morning, Betty. How are you? Fine. You had a great <laughs> question about crepe myrtles. Well, I have big crepe myrtles. I've never, you know, trimmed them, uh, crepe murder. <laughs> but anyway, I need to cut some of the limbs off now because they're big trees. And is it all right this time of the year to cut off some of those limbs? Yeah, yeah, great question, Betty. Thanks for calling in. Um, you know, crepe myrtle pruning is something we get questions about all the time. Um, really Really, pruning right now would be just fine on that crepe myrtle, um, you know, especially a crepe myrtle. They're some of the toughest trees that are out there. So um, you'd be fine to get away with the pruning. And honestly, you know, pruning in the spring, early summer, actually is a pretty good time to prune um, because the tree's just all vigorous and got a lot of flow going on, and it does a really good job of sealing those wounds. Um, the big thing would be to just make sure that you cut back to unions and cut back to actual branch crotches, not just mid-node cutting. Mm-hmm. Um, like you see on the topping and the crate murder cuts. And there seems to be certain patterns in different years that we've seen on this show, Seth, where everyone's crate myrtles are doing fine, no one calls and complains, and then all of a sudden every few years we get a lot of calls, which I haven't yet this summer, but people concerned with my crate myrtles not blooming. I see all the other ones in front of the banks and the shopping centers and neighbors' yards, they're blooming and mine aren't. Is there any just pat answer for that, or it really depends on the environment? Um, you know, so every tree is going to be different, just like every person, their animal is different. Um, so that can that can change their flowering schedule and timing a little bit. Um, also, just sun exposure can drive flowering time and flowering schedule. Um, I've actually, I'm looking at three in my backyard, and they haven't flowered out, and my neighbors have. <laughs> that <exact Huh>. <laughs> See, and that's one thing. You can almost cut a crepe myrtle any time, and they're not super, super picky like some others are, you know, you don't want to prune a tree or a plant right before it starts to set buds because then you're going to miss out on the buds. But crepe myrtles are pretty forgiving. So, Betty, great advice from Seth there to take out the limbs that you need to take out, just going back to a crotch or a union in the limbs. And what's the rule, Seth, on is there something like Walter used to say pencil size or if, if it's the size of maybe just your index finger that big around, are those better to take those smaller ones out or you can just do any size limb you need? Um, yeah, so, I mean, the smaller wound that you make on a tree, obviously, is ideal and better. It's easier for the tree to seal that. However, again, crepe myrtles, they're really good compartmentalizers. They're going to seal wounds off. The big thing with crepe myrtle pruning, I always tell people, is less is more. Yeah. So I 
basically just take out the branches that are growing back into itself or rubbing on other branches and just kind of take out those issues and let it do its natural thing um, and let them kind of get up and become nice shade trees. Good. All right, Betty. So if you're going to get out there, girl, this weekend, do it either now or do it like at 7 p.m. because it's going to be hot today. Thank you for the call. And Seth, you hang on because we're going to talk to Jan in Milledgeville about her small red dogwood. The leaves are turning brown. And also Tracy had a great question about her dogwood and a broken branch and now maybe some ants or infesting that wounded area so we will address that and more in your calls 404-872-0750 be right back on green and growing on hey that was your weather update and that was brought to you by finley roofing so i've got seth hawkins on the line from the georgia forestry commission and we're talking summer tree care and tree health and a lot of you are calling with great tree questions and now is the time to do so 404-872-0750. So up next, Seth, we're going to talk to Jan in Milledgeville. Hey, good morning, Jan. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, thanks for being so patient. So you got a dogwood. What's going on with it? Yeah, it's a young dogwood, maybe two years, and um, it's it's called a red dogwood. We have not seen those red blooms yet other than when we first bought it at the nursery where we could see them. But um, all of a sudden, the top area, the top the branches, the leaves are, are turning brown and <clears throat> And I cut some off to look at them, and I don't see any bugs or anything, you know, anything creeping around on them. But the leaves are turning brown, and I'm concerned about that. It doesn't seem like they should be doing that. No. So, Seth, what's your assessment? So, my first question about the dogwood would be, Jan, is it out in the open sun, or is it in the shade? No, it's it's like an understory plant, in my opinion, is what you would call it. It's, we have a lot of mature trees in our lot. This isn't our first home, but... Um, it's uh, mature trees, big trees, and we have a fair amount of dogwoods in our yard in similar circumstances that are doing well. So I would say not it gets sun, but not a tremendous amount. I don't know. Maybe okay. that's the problem. That's the problem. Well, that, that's spot on. It is an understory tree. Think about it out in the woods. That's where you see it. So uh, I always just check with that because dogwoods and open sun usually just don't do great. Um, right. You know, my, my first things when I'm thinking about just like leaves browning at the top, usually um, it's maybe going to be uh, water issues. So either maybe too much water or not enough water. Mm. Um, so I was wondering, is the soil drained well enough or is there ever like kind of just like really moist soil constantly or does it ever get to dry out? I would say it drains pretty good. I, I mean, I, I can't really say for sure how good, but um, of course it's been raining a lot lately around here. But um, I, I think it drains pretty good. Can't be sure. I mean, I don't yep. walk over there standing in water after it rains. Okay, that's just where I always go when I, when I hear Lee's Brown. I always talk about watering first. Um, you know, dogwoods are real susceptible to a fungal disease called uh, anthracnose. Ooh. I'm wondering if maybe that might be what you're dealing with. Almost uh, every dogwood in our landscape has a little anthracnose going on. It just depends on when it becomes enough that we notice it. And Seth, we've uh, got about a minute. So would that be an issue with the roots? Where is that most commonly started or seen? Well, anthracnose is a fungal disease. Typically, it floats around in the crown. Um, and so the best thing you can really do for that is kind of prune out the affected tissue and just make sure there's good airflow through the crown. That'll help get rid of the, the fungal infestation. Um, that's really the best bet you can do. But I, if the leaves are brown, I would see if the branches are brittle or not. If the branches are still flexible, maybe see what happens and make sure you get the watering schedule right. If the branches are brittle, then I would prune out that affected tissue. 
Definitely want to cover Tracy here in the next 10 minutes or so. Tracy with a, a dogwood branch, a large branch that broke halfway off at the trunk. And now that may be exposing some of the tree to uh, some infestations with unwanted pests. So Seth Hawkins along from the Georgia Forestry Commission. And we will be back with tree calls, tree questions that you've got. Jump in 404-872-0750. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Hey, Ashley Frasca here. Back on Green and Growing. Get out there and get done what you need to get done today. But be sure to take us with you. Play us on the WSB radio app on your phone. And away we go. We've got an hour and a half more of gardening and your calls and more information overload. And we're back with Seth Hawkins. He's hung around for us from the Georgia Forestry Commission. You having fun yet? I'm having a blast. I thought so. Me too. We get some great calls. So we want your tree questions for Seth. 404-872-0750. So you are a community forester with the Georgia Forestry Commission, and folks can find out more at gatrees.org, which is a website that, honestly, Seth, I'm going to be honest, until I met all of you in January, I did not know. And as a homeowner and just as a Georgia resident, such a a wealth of great information, gatrees.org. What are some of the helpful things and resources people can find there? Um, yeah, so there's a lot of good resources on there, um, you know, specific to urban and community forestry, um, stuff that I do. There's an urban and community forestry tab, then there's a homeowner help and homeowner resources section. And then there's all sorts of good little, like, fact sheets and links to other websites and stuff with information about watering and uh, pruning. And there's a lot of good stuff. Um, we're, we're, we're building up the resources back into it. It's a newer website, but, um, you know, always check back. We're trying to keep it fresh with uh, new resources all the time. It looks great. And another one, folks, if you have a pen and paper handy and you're writing that down, that's gatrees.org. And Seth and I were talking at 730 and probably will continue to talk about the role of arborists, you know, and how important it is that as consumers and homeowners, we know how to reach certified arborists here in the state of Georgia. And that is georgiaarborist.org if you need to find someone. Because Seth, I mean, talk about the mistakes folks make. You don't want to get them out there with a chainsaw on a ladder, self-diagnosing problems. I mean, that could go all, all kinds of wrong, couldn't it? Yeah, not only just from a tree health point of view, um, but also just from a liability point of view. Um, you definitely want to have someone that is professional and licensed and insured out there, but preferably for tree work, um, you want to have an, an International Society of Arboriculture certified arborist. Um, you know, arborists were just trained in tree conservation methods and how to keep trees in the landscape. You mentioned GeorgiaArborist.org. Um, also on GATrees.org, we have a certified arborist directory there as well. Oh, good. So everything in one place, GATrees.org. I love it. All right, Seth, so we're, we're getting some great calls. So how about we just jump right back to those? Sounds good. Now, Tracy wasn't able to call today, but she and I have been in touch on Facebook. So she's got a large branch broken halfway off at the trunk on a dogwood, okay? And it was after a storm. It seems there might be an ant infestation, so what to do about it. And she's not sure if maybe the branch had been weakened by the ants or if the branch was weakened by the storm and then that brought on ants finding it vulnerable. But she said it looks like an anthill mound kind of in the center of that branch break from the dogwood. So what do you suspect? 
Well, typically, you know, carpenter ants and trees um, are a sign that there was already existing fungal decay. Um, those carpenter ants can only eat, you know, they only harvest decayed wood. So the fungal decay was already in there. I would suspect that fungal decay at that union is probably why the branch failed, if I had to suspect. And that just exposed, visibly exposed the fungal decay in that union. Depending on where the break was, you know, I would recommend having it pruned back properly to that union or crotch. And now, if it start, if it ripped into the heartwood of the main stem, um, you might have other issues, and the fungal decay might become a really long-term issue. Um, but again, the carpenter ants are a secondary thing. They're just a sign there's already fungal decay somewhere in the tree. Is there any reason for any pest management practices with the carpenter ants? You know, not that I'm aware of. Um, they're going to hollow out those cavities, but having a hollow cavity is essentially the same thing structurally for the tree as having a cavity full of half-decayed wood. So really, the carpenter ants, um, I wouldn't panic about them. Again, they're just kind of a sign that other things might be going on. Okay. And so when we cut a large limb or a branch like Tracy may have to do here, talk about how you prune that back to the trunk properly and like the, the collar, you know, the collar of the branch and all of that. What are folks looking to do there? Yeah, yeah. So at the branch unions, there what, um, there's an area of what we call the, quote, defensive zone. And that's an area which the tree can make the right tannins and chemicals and, and put them in the right places to seal and compartmentalize those wounds. Now, if you leave like a stub sticking out, then that stub's going to kind of decay and provide an avenue for decay to get into the main stem of the tree. If you cut it too flush, you'll get into that defensive zone and the tree won't seal the wound properly. So it's really important to make that cut right outside that branch collar, which is easier to see on some trees or branches. But there should be a little like swelling, a little bit of tapering where it becomes that individual branch. You want to cut right outside that branch collar. And there's diagrams online that will show you all the places to make the rock cuts and all that good stuff. Yeah, and maybe sometimes we don't give trees enough credit for being able to heal themselves like that. What is your take on folks that want to use those products, like in the crotches and, and hollows and things like that, like the, the tars and the things that we're trying to put a Band-Aid on something that may not need it? Right, yeah, so wound paint, um, there's no scientific evidence to back up the benefits of wound paint or anything like that. Um, there's actually maybe some research that suggests that it's detrimental to the tree. Because mm -hmm. um, basically what you've done is sealed in any fungus that's in that wound, and it's a perfect environment for fungal growth. It's dark, it's got just enough oxygen to let the fungus grow. Um, so the wound paint is, like I said, again, no benefit to it. Um, the trees have their own mechanisms to seal wounds. Um, if you just make the proper pruning cut, then they should, if it's a healthy, vigorous tree, seal itself off. Good. All right. 404-872-0750. Sarah in Dunwoody. Hey, good morning, Sarah. You're on Green and Growing. Thank you. Yeah. I had um, did or cedars planted after the tornado in Dunwoody 22 years ago and clearing out this week underneath one took away ivy and um, needles and so on and there's a lot of fungus white kind of massy fungus not the scallops like you sometimes see on trees and you might be concerned about but this is about three or four inches thick and it's kind of like white or, or off-white is it milky at all that color yeah it's not or runny. even like frothy foamy milky no yes yes it is. Exactly so. Okay, and this is Deodor Cedars, yes? Right. All right. Oh, Seth, what does that sound like? Well, um, my, so you're saying the fungus isn't necessarily like attached to the tree base or the roots. It's just kind of in the mulch and the duck layer around the tree? No, it's, it's at the bottom of the tree on the downhill side, 
kind of on the of the root area of that downhill side of the tree. Yeah, not so all the way around, but halfway around. There's a lot of different wood decay fungi out there. Um, you know, figuring out exactly which one it is can help you determine like how long has this infestation been there, how long will it take to actually make the tree fail. Um, but whenever you have fungus, visible fungus growing on the base of the tree, it's a pretty big sign that there's fungal decay in that, you know, root place. So if it's a larger tree especially, I would recommend having an ISA arborist come out and do a formal assessment, a uh, tree risk assessment, just because if it's a larger tree and you do have fungal decay in the root plate, that does increase the likelihood that that tree could fail under wind and things like that. Oh, what do we do? Um, really, it's going to be, you know, an, a site assessment will help determine the extent of that in, of the fungal infestation and determine basically the structural integrity of the tree. But again, f- visible fungus on the base of a tree is one of the red flags that I look out for to um, when I'm looking for trees that have a higher likelihood of failure. All right, Sarah, thank you so much for the call. And Seth, I want to ask you, too, about something else, not fungus, but what about mushrooms? If we see mushrooms at the base of certain trees, is that a warning sign of something, or do we leave that Um, alone? No, same story as as the last caller. Um, You know, uh, that's just, again, wood decay fungi. The mushrooms are the the reproductive organ, basically, of the fungus that's within the tree. Um, Again, it's just a visible red flag that there is fungal decay within the tree somewhere. Ah, Shoot. Okay. Yeah, because mushrooms are kind of cool, but when you see them at the base of the tree, that's not so cool. So yeah. we had questions about the top of the tree. We had Jan with uh, browning leaves at the top of the dogwood. Now we've kind of moved down to the base of trees, and that makes me want to ask you about mulching. How important mulching is? Is it really just for use in our flower beds and our vegetable gardens, or do we need to do it around trees? If so, which ones? Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um so I always encourage, um, I'm a big proponent of proper tree mulching. I feel like it's one of the easiest and most cost-effective things that any homeowner can do to just increase the health and habitat of their tree's root system. Um, so basically, any organic material really can work as mulch, you know, even like leaves when you rake up your leaves in the, in the fall. I prefer to use ground-up hardwood chips. I just feel like it lasts longer. Um, but so really, when you're doing mulch, you really want to go about two to three inches thick with the organic material out to, you know, if you can, all the way out to the drip line, which is the furthest out branches around the tree. Um, But again, mulch is super important. If you think about trees out in the forest and you look in the grounds, what do you see? You see mulch everywhere. Mm -hmm. So essentially, we're just recreating that natural growing condition. Um, But again, mulch conserves soil moisture, um, you know, normalizes soil temperature, um, suppresses weeds. There's a lot of benefits of mulch. Now, there's sometimes questions and discussions around what type of mulch, because some folks in counties here in Metro Atlanta have resources to get free mulch, you know, for maybe a tree company or whatever like that. And using maybe cypress versus like pine bark mulch, is there one that's better than the other? You know, um, again, I like to use hardwood chips myself. Um, That's just a preference. Again, I just think they don't decay quite as fast. But really, I mean, pine straw, pine bark nuggets, all that stuff, that all works just fine. The big things, um, I would stay away from the dyed mulch when you can, mm-hmm. um, just because those dyes sometimes leach into the soil. And just and also, those dyed mulches absorb a lot of heat and re-radiate that heat back out onto the base of the tree. So I would stay away from the dyed mulches and things like that. Um, like pea gravel is not really a great mulch. It, again, absorbs a lot of heat, doesn't hold any moisture for the for the tree roots. So, you know, but then you were talking about free mulch sources. Yeah, there's there's a lot of great free mulch sources out there. 
Um, you know, just you got to be a little choosy sometimes and make sure that you aren't bringing in maybe a little round of bamboo. In oh, jeez, right. But a good aging, if you let it sit out there and age, typically that'll kill all the weed seeds and all that good stuff, and um, then you'll be ready to go. So you've got a pile of, you know, like freshly ground mulch and, and chips from a tree. You're you're letting it sit in a pile if you've just had some tree t- trees taken down or whatever in your yard. What is the proper age for that before I start spreading it around in my beds? Well, it really depends. I mean, I've used freshly ground chips before. Okay. Um, so really the aging process is mostly just to make sure that any insects or weed seeds kind of get uh, you know burned out by the decomposition heat. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're confident there's no insects or weed seeds in it, you can use mulch that's freshly ground. Ah, I love it. That's good news. All right, Seth, we got to take a break. Kim in Toco Hills, you will be next. Had some trees removed and questions about that. You are listening to Green and Growing here on W. Thank you to the folks at Finley Roofing for sponsoring that weather update. You know how to plan the weekend, but the full forecast, if you need to listen up for that, comes up in less than 10 minutes here on 95.5 WSB. Now, something that I try to do a few times throughout the show, you may hear it multiple times in the three hours. You got to listen up. Green and Growing Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week couple of basic easy things for you to take care of in the landscape even if you don't have a lot of time number one fertilize crepe myrtles and butterfly bushes and even hydrangeas right now a tablespoon of 10 10 10 some general all-purpose fertilizer will do just fine measure that tablespoon per foot of height of the plant and number two you want to keep an eye out for tomato hornworm believe it or not you may see that little green guy on the stems and the leaves of your tomato they can do enormous damage overnight And when you see the damage, check under the leaves and the stems to find them. Like I said, that's where you'll see them. Just hand pick them off and dispose of them. And for number three, I'm going to have my guest Seth Hawkins weigh in. What is garden to do number three that folks could be doing now, Seth? Um, I'll say it again. I think mulching would be a great thing for everybody to get out and do this weekend. Um, You know, again, it's super easy, about two to three inches thick, about really as wide as you can make it, as you can either get the materials or do it physically. Uh, big things, you don't want to volcano mulch it, like we call it, where it's mm-hmm. all mounded up on the trunk like you'll see sometimes. You want it to be nice and flat, a nice flat disc out around the tree. And then how far out, like, I mean, if I can mulch under some really good trees, how far out do I need to go with that mulch that it's really super beneficial? You know, ideally, um, to spec would be going out to what we call, you know, the drip line, the furthest out branches. Obviously, with a really big tree, that might be cost prohibitive, cost prohibitive or not practical to do, but really... If you can get out to that drip line, that's awesome. The bigger the mulch ring, the better. Nice. I love it. All right. Up next is Promised Kim in Toco Hill. Good morning. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Um, a few years ago, I had a bunch of just whoppers taken out of my yard and of pines and sweet gums. And I want to replace them with smaller trees and that don't get over about 40 feet high. And two trees that I, I really like that I've seen around, but I want to know what Seth thinks about them is a Chinese lace bark elm and slender silhouette sweet gums. What do you think of those trees? I don't want like whoppers and he thinks they're fairly vertical that don't have a huge amount of spread. All right. So Seth, I'm going to give you some time to think on that and maybe come up with uh, solutions for Kim here and maybe a couple of other trees because Kim, we're going to go on a break, but he is going to answer your question right after the news if you can hang on for about eight more minutes. But I do want to make sure really quickly in the last few seconds here with what you've had taken out. Are we talking about an area with full sun now? It's pretty bright. Yes. Okay. And so definitely your desire is something that doesn't grow as tall. Yeah, I just, 
I, I'm all, I, I have part of part of one come through my living room or dining room ceiling. Ooh, that'll make you live in fear. Absolutely. All right. I totally understand. I can relate, Kim. So you hang tight. And Seth, you stay with us as well. Thank you so much for holding through to 9 o'clock to get to some of these calls. We're going to step out and take a break here on 95.5 WSB. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.